We are continuing our topical series in Romans, and today we have a one-verse topic that I'm going to be getting into. And you may have guessed it already, based off the day that's coming this week and based off the things that were mentioned during worship. Today we're going to be talking about the topic of gratitude or thanksgiving. And there is a verse in Romans that we'll base our message off, and then we'll get into talking about um, what gratitude actually means for us today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 21. That will be our verse for today. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 21. I'll read the verse and then we'll get into the message. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Amen. There's this doctrine called common grace. And what the doctrine of common grace means is that God allows people to experience and do, even do good things. Although, as this verse says, God in his common grace allows people to experience and do good things, although they don't acknowledge him as God. So God's common grace will allow people to do good things, experience good things, although they don't acknowledge him. One example of people experiencing good things through common grace is something like a sunset. The sun sets in a beautiful way, and whether you're a wicked person or a righteous person, whether you follow Jesus or you don't care to follow Jesus, you can partake in the beauty of a sunset as long as you're alive, right? That's an example of God's common grace, people experiencing it through the day-to-day life. Doing good things through God's common grace is the the idea that sometimes we even do things that honor God, even though we don't even consciously recognize him. And I think an example of that is going to be what's happening on Thursday of this week. Thanksgiving is a time where people gather together with their families and share a meal and share what they're generally thankful for. And broadly speaking, I think we can say that that's a good thing. That's an example of God's common grace, that people who don't always acknowledge him will still do things that are honoring to him, like gathering around a meal and sharing time with their family and sharing what they're grateful for. And what's interesting about Thanksgiving is that it's not a particularly Christian holiday. I know people that are Jewish, people that are Muslim, people that are atheists, people that have no religion in particular, all of whom recognize Thanksgiving and even celebrate it with some degree of zeal. They really take into account getting together and taking time to be thankful and practicing gratitude and being with their family. So I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that on Thursday, God's common grace will be on display and that people who don't always acknowledge him will do something that gives him honor and that gives him glory by giving thanks. And just as we can say that common grace is a thing and it's a thing that's gonna be on display this week, There's this other doctrine called depravity or wickedness is is the more maybe common phrase you'd hear it uh, named as. And an example of wickedness we'll see this week happens the day after Thanksgiving. Some of you know what goes on. It's called Black Friday. So Black Friday is a time where the stores have all their deals. And right after giving thanks, the same people who gave thanks are going to line up outside of their favorite store. And as soon as the doors open, they're going to bum rush in there to try to get whatever they want and get what they can get their hands on. And this is not just about getting deals. You'll probably see it on the news. It happens just about every year. People will be getting, getting in fights in the stores. People will be arguing over toys, arguing over parking spots, 
Uh, in 2008, unfortunately, there was a Walmart employee who was trampled to death because the crowd was so ferocious, just rushing in and trying to get things. So as much as we can see that Thanksgiving is a time where God's common grace is at work, we can see wickedness displayed on Black Friday. We can see total depravity displayed on Black Friday. It's not, I don't think black has anything to do, by the way, it doesn't have anything to do with like Satan or demonic things. Black is a retail term where you go from the red, which is negative profit to the black, which is positive. So I don't think you have to read that much into it, but there will be a lot of wickedness on display. Um, and just as the Bible right, encourages thankfulness, the Bible clearly warns against a lot of the things that happen on Black Friday, like greed and materialism and fighting with each other over material things. So I think it's important that as Christians, when we talk about something like thanksgiving or gratitude, the concept, in one sense, you could hear a verse like I just read and think, well, the people in Romans didn't give thanks, and I'm going to give thanks on Thursday, so what's the, how does this really apply to me besides just making sure that I give thanks? But in another sense, I want us to observe that there are people who participate in Thanksgiving, who give thanks, and then turn around on Black Friday and participate in wickedness. And so I think it's important for us as Christians to think about what is a distinctly Christian vision of gratitude, a Christian vision of thankfulness, because gratitude is a, is a concept that you'll hear people of all religions talk about. And it's something that's generally speaking, a positive thing. Muslims will say they're grateful. Atheists will say they're grateful. Mormons will say they're grateful. But what do we all really mean? And what is distinctly Christian about gratitude? I think what's distinctly Christian about gratitude or thankfulness is where it leads us. And so I want to look at a few examples from scripture to frame the conversation and frame the concepts of thankfulness. And then we'll take some practical examples of how we can, I think, walk in thankfulness in a way that honors Jesus. So to do that, like I said, we'll look at a few examples from scripture. And the first one I want to start with is Cain and Abel. Now, actually, uh, our next sermon series, I may be giving a spoiler breaking news. I'm sorry, Eddie. Allegedly, our next sermon series, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> sources have told me that the next sermon series in January is going to be a walk through the book of Genesis. So perhaps, maybe, allegedly, I'm foreshadowing what we're going to be talking about starting in January. This is uh, a passage about two men named Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. These are two men who make an offering to God, and one God accepts, and one God does not. So let's read Genesis 4, 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings. But for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So you have two men, both make an offering to the Lord. One the Lord accepts, one the Lord does not. One way you could look at this, and we'll probably talk about this when we get into the Genesis series, is that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the ground. And if you read earlier in Genesis, the ground is cursed when sin enters the world. So the way some people interpret that was, well, God accepted one sacrifice and not the other because one came from the ground and the ground was cursed. Abel's sacrifice came from his flock and meaning it came from a live animal. That meant it was an animal he had to sacrifice, he had to kill. And so you could see with Abel, perhaps some foreshadowing to God accepting us based off the sacrifice of Jesus laying down his life for us. But if you read the Old Testament, 
the idea of sacrificing things from the ground isn't forbidden. So it's not necessarily that Cain's method was the entire issue here. Hebrews actually gives us some insight into what really was behind the scenes working with Cain and Abel. But we can't just say, well, Abel did it right and Cain did it wrong, so that's why God accepted one, just purely based off their methodology. Because Hebrews says this, Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when he spoke well of his offerings. And Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So the difference here isn't just purely the methods of how things were sacrificed. It was that one was sacrificed by faith and the other was not. And it just so happens that it is faith in the sacrifice of Jesus who sacrifices his life for us that ultimately makes us acceptable before God. So here's the connection to thankfulness. We can thank God because we feel like he owes us or we can thank God because we know he doesn't owe us. And just because someone says they're thankful doesn't know that they know the difference between those two things. Think about it. If you go to the grocery store and you buy something for $3 and you pay $5 in cash and they give you your $2 back after you pay for it, what do you say when they give you your $2 if you're a polite person? Thank you. Give me my change back. Now, imagine you go to the grocery store you buy that same thing for $3, you realize, don't have my wallet, don't have my purse, I guess I'm not getting what I came for. And then someone who's behind you, who owes you nothing, says, hey, don't worry about it. I'll pay for it. What would you say to that person? Thank you. Now, aren't those two different thank yous? One, you're given what you feel like you deserve. The second, you realize you didn't deserve this, but someone made a sacrifice for you and made a way for you. And again, just because someone says they're thankful or that they're expressing gratitude doesn't mean they necessarily know that they're doing one or the other. Jesus actually gives a really good example about this in a parable about two men, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Let's read Jesus's words in Luke 18. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, who is standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So notice something. Notice that the Pharisee is thankful, but he's thankful for what he feels like God owes him. He's thankful for what he can do, what he can accomplish, and how righteous he is. Now the other, a tax collector, realizes that God owes him nothing and has shown him mercy and realizes that it is God who will actually justify him. And Jesus says, one of these men, the tax collector, is the one who went home justified. Very similar to Cain and Abel, right? 
the things the Pharisee mentions aren't necessarily in and of themselves bad, right? Being just is good, tithing is good, fasting is good. Those methods aren't necessarily the issue. But just like Cain, the Pharisee is not speaking by faith. He's not thinking that God will accept him based off the faith of another, or based off faith in another who would make a way for him and make a way for him to be acceptable before God. The difference, right, is that the tax collector turns to God in faith and the Pharisee turns to God based off his works. And the one that walks in faith is the one that's justified. So thankfulness for us can be an extension of our faith or thankfulness can be an extension of God, thank you for giving me what I earned. Thankfulness can also be a way for us to say, God, thank you for what I did. God, thank you for what I became. God, thank you for what I earned. Or thankfulness can be a realization that all of those things, all of those I dids, I becames, I earned, do nothing in comparison to what Jesus did. So the lesson of Cain and Abel and the lesson of the Pharisee is that our actions with thankfulness are only part of the equation. You can do good things and be thankful for them, but if you're like the Pharisee who's just thankful for what he feels like he's earned, you're still stuck with yourself and you're still stuck with your own righteousness. And if you learn, if you live that way, and if you just want to live by saying, well, God, thank you for giving me what I've earned, learn the lesson from Cain that our sacrifices in and of themselves are not enough to merit anything from God, which is why thankfulness for Christians should lead us back to Jesus. And it's possible for us to practice thankfulness, but miss Jesus in the process. Jesus um, talks about this in Luke 17. He talks about the cleansing of 10 lepers. Luke 17, starting at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not the ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So 10 lepers call out to him and ask for healing. He sends them to a priest who ultimately gives them and cleanses them, which is actually another example of God's common grace, the recipients of that healing. And then only one turns back and falls at Jesus's feet and gives him thanks to which Jesus responds and says, so where are the other nine that I healed? I thought I healed 10 people and only one is back here giving me thanks. Now I bet if you were living in Jesus's day, and you found those other nine lepers and you said, hey, are you thankful for what happened? They'd be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm grateful for what happened. I'm, I'm grateful for what was done for me. But only one of those had thankfulness and had the mind to know that that thankfulness should lead him back to Jesus. To which Jesus responds to that man, your faith has made you well. Now, remember why Abel's sacrifice was accepted in Cain's, Because it was by faith. And here you have a man who returns to Jesus after receiving healing and in his faith is commended by Jesus saying, your faith has made you well. But the display of his faith was that he laid himself at Jesus's feet, thanking him for what he had done. 
So it is faith to believe that it is Jesus and not our good fortune, not our circumstances, not our own merit that allows us to have the things that we have in life. James says it like this, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So it takes faith for us to put our mind in that place, that it is truly every good thing that comes from the Lord. Every good thing that we have comes from Jesus. It is an act of faith then to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you. Not to turn to our good circumstances, not to turn to our good fortune, not to turn to what some today call the universe and just be generally thankful. It is an act of faith to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is your doing. Thank you. So we looked at three examples, right? Cain and Abel, Pharisee and the tax collector, and the uh, 10 lepers. One leper who was cleansed, or one leper, they were all cleansed. One leper of the 10 who were cleansed returned to Jesus and gave him thanks. There's a clear outcome in all three of those stories, right? God accepts one sacrifice from Abel and not Cain. God uh, says that the tax collector is justified and not the Pharisee. God says to the one leper who returns to him in faith, your faith has made you well. So it is, like I said, the act of faith to believe that the things that we have are indeed the work of God or the work of Jesus and not a product of mere chance or circumstance. Faith and thankfulness then are almost like two sides of the same coin. If you read Colossians 2.6, I think says this well. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and then here's the connection, overflowing with thankfulness. So those are two sides of the same coin, faith and thankfulness. So how do you make this practical this week? I think Eric was reading my mind when he uh, was up there giving the instructions before worship, but it is, I think, a very practical message, right? How do we make this practical? I really appreciate the way that Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer, where he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't think we always define or, or, or know what that word hallowed means. Hallowed means to allow something to be fully glorified, to be fully seen for what it actually is. So an example would be when you wash your car, you want to wash all the dust and snow and ice and gross stuff that gets on in the wintertime. You want to wash all that off it so people can, can see your car for what it truly is. You're, you're in a sense hallowing your car. So when we say hallowed be thy name, we're saying we want Jesus' name to be seen for all the weight and glory that it truly is. But when we practice thankfulness without bringing it back to Jesus, it's almost like we're saying, Lord, hallowed be my name. Hallowed be my circumstances. Hallowed be what I can do. Hallowed be how things work, seem to work out for me. I want to be seen or I want to feel the weightiness of that as opposed to the weightiness of Jesus who actually allowed for us to have the things that we actually have. So I think an example of how this could actually be played out is if you think about the Pharisee who's giving thanks for not, like being, not being like other sinners. He's in a sense saying, hallowed be my name, right? Hallowed be my circumstances. Hallowed be what I did. Imagine then what happens to that Pharisee if he falls into sin. What happens if he commits adultery? What happens if he stops tithing? What happens if he gets hungry and doesn't want to fast? Does that mean, then mean that he has nothing to be thankful for? So 
if we think about it, thankfulness, if it leads us back to Jesus, leads us to a place where our hope is unshakable. It leads us to a place and it leads us to a person that's not driven or, or changed by circumstances. Jesus says at the end of that parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And what's interesting is that sometimes thankfulness can actually be a way for people to exalt themselves. Some people, you know, kind of like post on Facebook, like, hey, I'm just, I'm thankful for this new car. And there's a big picture of their car. What they really want you to see is their car, right? Or I'm thankful for this vacation I just went on. It's like, hey, look at my vacation pictures. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a subtext. There's a meaning behind what they're doing. And it isn't necessarily to show how thankful they are. It's to show off what they did, right? They're, in a sense, and can be, exalting themselves. And like I said, those things aren't necessarily bad. If God provides a new car, if God allows you to take a trip, that's a lot of fun. Those aren't bad. But what happens when they fail you? What happens when they run out? What happens when the car breaks down? What happens when you aren't allowed to go on vacation? Like I said, thankfulness that leads us back to Jesus leads us to a hope that can't disappoint us. There's this concept called the holiday blues where people who experience depression or uh, substance abuse or anxiety, people who work with people like that, addiction counselors, substance abuse counselors, psychotherapists, they notice that their patients struggle more during the holiday season. And it's because oftentimes the things that they thought would make them happy actually don't. I thought having this time off work would make me happy, but it kind of did, but it, it fell short. Or I thought getting to see my family would make me happy, and it kind of did, but it didn't really turn the corner. I didn't turn the corner that I thought I would. Because apart from the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus, even the things that we th we're thankful for are bound to disappoint us. Our families aren't perfect. Our vacations aren't perfect. Our meals that we make with our families aren't perfect. And even if they feel perfect, they aren't permanent. Imagine, and, and some of you have experienced this, the loss of a loved one. People who have lost a close loved one say that oftentimes it stings more during the holiday because you're used to seeing that person across from the table. You're used to being with them on Christmas morning, and now they're gone. And the reality of the fact that we are indeed not permanent really sets in. And I just want to say, as an aside, um, I'm always encouraged at this church how we gather together over the holiday season. There are cross-family, cross-small group cross um, neighborhood Thanksgiving and Christmas gatherings. So if you happen to be in a situation where the loss of a loved one or just a difficult season has made it difficult to gather with people, um, let us know. We would love to connect you with people or, or have you over our pastors. Our, we've, we've all kind of had that time where we gather together as a church family. So if you are in a difficult spot or just want to be with people for this holiday season, please talk to someone because we would love to accommodate that. And I'm always encouraged. You guys do that anyway, so I almost don't even need to say it. So anyway, if that's, if that's you, just talk to us, let us know, because we are a church family, and that's part of how we love each other. Um, anyway, back, back to where I was. Um, if you are fortunate enough to be able to gather with family this week, yes, that's something we should be thankful for. But we have to trace that gratitude we feel back to the source. The food, the family, the memories we share, all those things come from a God who gives us those things and allows us to have them, even though we don't deserve them. And not only he gives us those things, but Romans 8, which is a passage we studied, said he gives us not just the good things, but the greatest thing, 
which is his son. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? So the son is the, is the thing, the greatest thing. And the other things are there, but they're not, what, uh, they're not anything compared to the son. Every good thing we experience then can be a reminder that points us to that greatest thing, that points us to his son, that points us to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Now, what I don't want you to do is think that you have to like slap Jesus at the end of everything that you say that you're thankful for. So someone says, man, I'm, I'm really grateful for this turkey. And you're like, yeah, but Jesus is better. Or man, I'm, I'm really happy to see my cousins this week. But man, I want to really see Jesus. You don't have to be that person that like just throws Jesus at the end of every sentence to make sure that we're you know, getting our Jesus quota in there. What this does mean though, is that we can allow the good things to be reminders of the greatest thing, which is Jesus, which is the son. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming from the father. That's what we read in James. So we can enjoy the gifts, but we have to remember the giver. And the failure to connect those two, the gift and the giver, has consequences. So we read again, Romans 121, that they knew God, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And here's the consequence. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So two things, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So if you think about that, there's a consequence to not connecting the giver and the gift. And part of it is you realize that that word futile there is also translated empty or vain, where we get our word vanity from. So part of the, the, the thankfulness that doesn't lead us back to Jesus is we actually come to a realization that the things we're thankful for are indeed vanity. They're not perfect and they are not permanent. So futile, like I said, means vain or empty. And that concept, like I talked about, the holiday blues where people who struggle a lot experience a lot of intense struggle over the holiday season because they realize the vanity of life. That's a concept that the Bible recognizes as well. We actually did a whole sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes where the teacher, many of whom believe is Solomon, experiences many good things in life. And you know what he comes to the end and says? It's all vanity. Opening few lines of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil, by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So at the end of his life, he realizes that there is a vanity. There is a non-permanence to everything we have, which is why, again, thankfulness should lead us back to Jesus because everything else is vanity. Even the things that we're thankful for. The things that we're thankful for, apart from Jesus, they're not perfect, they're not permanent, they are vanity. But the things that we're thankful for in Jesus and with Jesus are for our joy. I like the way 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, instruct those who are rich in this present age, meaning those who have things to be thankful for, to not be arrogant, but to set their hope or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. So he's saying, don't be arrogant and puffed up like the Pharisee, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth, the uncertainty of things that you may actually be even be thankful for. But he says on God, who richly provides us with all things for us to enjoy. 
So don't set your hope on the things that God has given you. Set your hope on the giver. Make the connection, the gift, and the giver. So to make this practical this week, like Eric did, and I very much appreciate I'm just going to reiterate. Enjoy the time you have with your family. Enjoy the meals you may share in. Enjoy the time off work. But remember, those things are meant to bring you back to Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, I encourage you to remember the things. I love the song, Count Your Blessings. Count them up, everyone. Remember the things that Jesus has given you, but also remember what the Bible calls the unsearchable riches of Christ. These are things that are true about all believers at all times, regardless of any circumstance. Because we as Christians certainly can be in different circumstances. There are times where you feel like you've got a lot to be thankful for, and there are probably times where you feel like counting your blessings is like, I can count them on one hand. At least that's what it feels like. Which is why we have to focus on the unsearchable riches of Christ. These are things that Jesus allows us and gives us and makes us regardless of our circumstance. There's a Bible teacher, Neil T. Anderson. He has a whole list of them that did not show up very well on this slide. So that will probably be shared with you in an email of some sort. But think about all the things that the Bible says that are true about believers and just practice thankfulness around those things. I am a child of God. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I have been united with the Lord and am one in spirit with him. I am a saint. I am a citizen of heaven. These are things, like I said, they're true regardless of your circumstance, whether you feel like you have a lot to be thankful for or whether you feel like you have a little tiny bit to be thankful for. As a Christian in Christ, we've got a whole list of things we can always recite and say, I'm thankful for these things. And actually, I appreciate the song we sung too. It's a really easy one to sing or to, to hum to yourself in your quiet time. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. If you're a Christian, those things are true about you regardless of your circumstance, and those are reason enough to be thankful. So yes, be thankful for the material things you see, be thankful for the food, the family, whatever you're enjoying this season, but don't forget the unsearchable riches of Christ. Don't forget the things that are true about you and are true about every other believer at all times. Be thankful for what's been done for you in Christ, as well as the things that Christ has given you. And I think the challenge with, with lists like these, like I said, we can maybe send this out so you can read it yourself. I won't try to go through all of them. But the challenge of thinking about the unsearchable riches of Christ is that they're unsearchable. And you have to search them by faith. You have to set your mind on things above. It doesn't just naturally occur to you like, yeah, I am a citizen of heaven. If you walk by sight, you're thinking it's cold outside. I got to get through work this week so I can make it to the end of the weekend. Like those are the things that naturally come to our mind. But if you set your mind on things above, if you walk by faith, we can remember those unsearchable riches of Christ. So real practical ways you can do that this week. Spend time in the word. Just read through a list of things that the Bible says are true about you as a believer. Like Eric said, spend time just looking up verses about thankfulness and read those and meditate on them. It could even be two or three minutes before you have to get up in the morning. Spend time singing a song or humming a song to yourself that reminds you to be thankful. Christ laid down his life so that all the good things we experience in this life could remind us of the greatest thing, could remind us of the thing, which is his son. I find it interesting that in Jesus's last few moments with his disciples, he did what we're probably a lot of us going to do on Thursday. He shared a meal with them. 
And he sat down with them and, and broke bread. And Jesus tells us to remember what he did for us on the cross by having a meal, by taking communion, by remembering, by eating and drinking a piece of bread and a, a little cup of, of grape juice, his body broken and his blood shared for us, his blood shed for us. And we're reminded of this, we're, we're reminded of in this meal that the one who is ultimately worthy of our thanks, the one who gives us every good thing, also gave us the greatest thing by laying down his life for us. Thankfulness can be a form of vanity if it just focuses on the here and now. It just focuses on the things that we can see with our eyes. Thankfulness can be a way in which we set our mind on things below and not things above. But thankfulness that leads us back to Jesus can set our hope on something that is unshakable, can set our mind on something that can actually edify our soul, which is why thankfulness should always lead us back to Jesus. Like I said, I'd encourage you this week, don't, don't rush through it. Um, a lot of us probably are traveling or going to see or having family come with us, so it can go by before you know it. But spend time this week, particularly giving thanks for the things you have and giving thanks to Jesus for giving them to you and giving thanks for who you are in him if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer or if you're not sure, spend time and go to Jesus. Read one of the gospels, read about who he is and ask if you indeed have reason to be thankful for what he did for you. Ask if this sacrifice that he laid down for you is real. And you can and you will be accepted, not based on your own merits, but by him laying down his life for you. And thankfulness can be a way that you're led to Jesus for the first time. So whether this is the first time or whether this is the hundredth time, this week, allow this moment and this time of thanksgiving to lead you back to Jesus. And if you are a believer, you will be accepted at his feet, whether you're praying, whether you're worshiping, whether you're singing a song, we can all be accepted by God. Not based off our own merits, not based off what we did, not based off circumstance, but based off Jesus' sacrifice. At the feet of Jesus, we are accepted, we are included, we are forgiven. That is reason enough to be thankful. We're gonna enter into a time of communion and we're gonna sing some songs. I imagine those songs will be about thankfulness, the way things have gone, but could be wrong. Could be a song about pride, we'll see. But we're gonna take some time to remember Jesus by singing songs to him and by taking communion. And I'm gonna pray to, to close us and to transition us. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that you didn't spare the thing that cost you the most. You didn't spare giving us your son. And the other things that we have, whether they, we feel like they're a lot or whether we feel like they're a little, Lord, we thank you for those as well. But help us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Help us to remember his body broken and his bloodshed. Help us to be the, the one who returns out of the many who receive many good things from you, Lord. Help us to be that small minority of people that return and remember that it is indeed Jesus. It is you that has made a way for us to experience life and freedom and healing, Lord. And let us give thanks, not just in general, but let us give thanks to you. Lord, set our minds and our hearts on you. Allow this week to be um, just a well dug deeper towards you as we practice thankfulness, Lord. Help our minds and our hearts to be at ease with the many 
stresses that may come with traveling or family being around or family not being around, Lord, whatever the case, God, help us to be the body of Christ for each other, to keep each other lifted in prayer and to continue to practice and remember you and to continue to be thankful. God, we pray these things, not because you um, accept us based off what we've done, not because we've hit a lottery of some sort, but because Jesus has made a way and we thank you for him. We thank you for his sacrifice. We pray, we ask these things in his name. Amen.